This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. It was October 31st, and the year was 1517. It's been a few days since then, amen? October 31st, 1517. A gentleman by the name of Martin Luther, he stormed the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he took a nail and he nailed to the doors of that church a paper. It was his 95 theses. He nailed it down good and strong and it was, a, it was an act of conviction. It was an act of courage. Uh, for see, he was determined to play a role in shifting history. And the monk, uh, Martin Luther, because of his courage and because of his faith, he took on something very powerful during that day, and it was the church. Because the church had detoured, it had moved away from being a alive or maybe I should say a living uh, organism of God, and it had become an institution of man. And ladies and gentlemen, the church was guilty of selling forgiveness. For the right amount of money, you can be forgiven. And something rose up in this young man, Martin Luther, and he went to the Lord in prayer, and he followed his heart, Pastor Don Howard, and he stormed that church and he nailed with conviction that thesis on the door. But there was a price to pay. Anytime you take risk, there's probably going to be a price to pay. Because Martin Luther was put on trial for this act of courage. Martin Luther was kicked out. He was excommunicated from the church that he truly loved. But he also knew that it was heading in a direction that was based on men's ideas and not the very leading of the Spirit of God. His act of courage had a domino effect. While he paid a great price of being charged and also excommunicated from the church, that one act of courage, though, it trickled into something powerful called the Protestant Reformation. And everything's been different ever since. It was April 18th, 1945, that a factory owner by the name of Oscar Schindler he decided to take a risk. You might be familiar in this modern Hollywood era as a movie and, and writing considered Schindler's List, one of the greatest works of at least my generation and yours. But Oscar Schindler hand-typed out, manually typed out, punched probably, I'm assuming, maybe even with one finger at a time, he punched out 1,097 names. And to be more detailed, there were 297 women and there were 800 because he took the risk, because he put his name on the line, 
because he took out that old typewriter and started by faith punching in names. And then he, he actually put his feet into motion from what his faith picture, what he envisioned happening. He went forward and made it happen, but there was a great price to pay. This wealthy factory owner lost everything. And to be honest about it, he died broke. But that one step of courage, that one risk taken, it had a domino effect. It multiplied. And a half century later, there's more than 6,000 descendants of those men and women that Schindler rescued. A price to pay, but what a reward gained because of a, a risk that was taken. It was December 1st, 1951. A little seamstress in the South named Rosa Parks. She stepped on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And for the sake of kind of maybe trying to paint the picture clearer than some would want to paint it, I think Rosa was at her wit's end and at her rope's end. She had had enough. And Rosa Parks walked onto that bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Of course, in those days, uh, segregation laws required black passengers to give up their seats for white passengers. And Rosa stuck her heels in the ground, or maybe we should say on the alley of that bus. And she said, enough's enough. And she said, if no one else can and if no one else will, this little lady that makes a living hemming up skirts and sewing up patches, she took a risk outside of her comfort zone, outside of any kind of skill or trade that she possessed. She wasn't a fighter. She wasn't a warrior. She was just a risk taker. And Rosa Parks stood on that bus and, I, and she says, I will not do so. But there was a price to pay. We love to celebrate Rosa's story, but oftentimes we forget that she was arrested and she lost her job. Let's just really be considerate and think about a job as a seamstress. Probably meant everything come paycheck day and she lost everything. But that one risk taken and that one step of courage, it had a domino effect. It multiplied and just a few years later, bus segregation was ruled unconstitutional. What I just want to try to set as a platform for the next few minutes on this Sunday morning is, I think we can all agree, just based on three real quick, simple little stories, and then we could probably share a whole bunch of your stories, but I think we could come to agree that one Small, simple act of courage. Yes. One small, simple risk taken yes. can literally change the course of history. Amen. If someone's willing to take a risk, if someone's willing to go all in, whether it be a veteran like Cleveland Richardson or a seamstress like Rosa Parks, or a wealthy factory owner that says, I'm willing to lose everything that my hands have built, like Oscar Schindler, or whether it be a little monk that's just driven by passion and desire, like Martin Luther. 
No matter where you may find yourself and whatever skill set you have or experience you possess, one risk taken can literally have a domino effect that will affect generation after generation after generation. And can I have an amen this morning? When we think of Martin Luther or Schindler or Rosa Parks, it's only natural for us to consider them as heroes. But this is what's fascinating. These people had no idea that they were making history while they were making history. It was just a moment in their lives that they thought, I'm risking it all because of this burning passion and desire that I've got. Little did they know that it would be told in November of 2014 in Fort Worth, Texas, making history and never realized it. This Bible that you and I have today, this one that I hold in my hand is identical to the one you have, whether it's the same translation, whether it's the same size. I get kind of made fun of sometimes for my Bible. It's, it's, it's really big. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of love it. I've had it for a long time, and I have probably six or seven, maybe even upwards of nine to ten Bibles, but this one, this one's kind of like my bud, you know? Uh, this is my special one. But this Bible is similar to yours. It's got something in common with yours, no matter what color yours is. My little girl went to Sunday school today with a Bible that was just about a, a business card size, and it was pink. No matter if it's pink and small or big and black, your Bible is a real big story yeah. of people taking risk. Yes. From cover to cover, yes. from book to book, from chapter to chapter, from verse to verse, from one dispensation to another dispensation, from one old covenant to a new covenant, from cover to cover, this Bible is all about men and women, nations, families, taking risk. So if we're going to align and place ourselves under the umbrella of God's blessing, we shouldn't think that it's going to come by just sitting around stagnant, by just sitting and taking up space. But the blessings of God come to those that are willing to take a step of courage, to take a step into risky business, into risky places, into risky decisions, but obviously doing it by faith and putting it all on the line for God's glory. Somebody say amen this morning. I think about ordinary people that took extraordinary risk. One of them is found in the Old Testament. We love his story. We love to read his story. It's very motivational. It's very, it's full of inspiration. It's inspirational. His name is Daniel. Everybody familiar with Daniel to some degree? 590 years before Christ. 590 years before Christ. The Babylonians invaded Judah. They seized or captured. They took control of Jerusalem. And they started deporting. They started sending out all of these precious Jewish 
people of God into the Babylonian Empire. There were three major exiles that took place, but in the very first one was a really sharp young cat named Daniel. Daniel was a part of this first exile, and Daniel was a cut above the rest. I pray that I do a good enough job painting this picture because it's important that you understand that Daniel had a call of God on his life. Daniel was not just sharp physically and mentally. Uh, He wasn't just intelligent, but he was sensitive to God. He followed after the Lord. And I guess that when you get to the end of this sermon, if there's a walkaway point, I'll even give it to you in the first few minutes. Here's the real walkaway point of the day. Taking risk is one thing, but when it's with God, it's really not risky at all. It just messes with our flesh because our flesh, Sister Linda, we think everything's going to fall apart. But when you're really sensitive to God, it's just one more step taken to God's full plan. So here's Daniel, as sharp as they come, intelligent, a cut above the rest. He's a star among the average, but he's sensitive to God. And Chanel, he starts following after the Lord. He starts sharing his gifts that God's put in him. And even those that were against him realize and recognize the hand of God on his life. And he's, and he's exalted. He's elevated to a place of great authority. Well, all of his peers now, they, they're unhappy with his success. They're frustrated with the blessings on his life. They think he's a goody-goody two-shoes, so to speak. And they're just not sure, friend, why he's such a special one. You ever remember in school, there was always that special one? I was always the special one, but just a different category of special. That's all right. I know some of you are like me, and that's why we love each other so much. That's why we get along. We click, we connect. We've got that special bond. We just just don't tell everybody what it is. Just yesterday, coming home from a, a, a Saturday of hunting, one of the men in the church, he said, I'm going to blow your mind. I said, dude, there's not much up there to blow, but go for it. Well, Daniel's peers, they start getting a little jealous. They start getting a little frustrated, Sister Rosie, and they wanted to find him guilty of something. Isn't that the way we are? If we, don't, if we think someone's got too much, if we think someone's been given too much, if we think someone's made too much of themselves, they're so highly educated or so they're highly successful or they're, or they're uh, just highly wealthy or they're so cultured and experienced, we always want to try to find something that we can nail them with. So they started examining Daniel's life and they wanted to find something he would be guilty of. And they did. They found something that he was guilty of. He was guilty of being faithful to God. What are you guilty of? You start thinking about people examining your life. 
What could you be found guilty of? I'm probably setting myself up for examination, but I can tell you I'm probably guilty of a lot of things, but at the end of the day, I pray that I'm guilty of being faithful to God. Daniel was found guilty of being faithful to God. And it literally turned into a conversation of, well, you know, he shouldn't be that faithful. And we ought to write a new rule. We ought to come up with some new laws to shift his faith and to get him. Because obviously, if we trace this back, his blessing comes out of that faithfulness to God. And I guarantee you that if we just put a law into writing, he's not going to break the law. So they come up with this great plan and they pin themselves this law that he's not allowed to worship the Lord any longer. If he were to worship the Lord, he would be guilty of breaking that law and then we can get rid of this goody-goody two-shoe Daniel. If you would like to, you can look in the book of Daniel with me in chapter number six. Daniel chapter number six, verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, when Daniel knew that the law had been passed, watch how Daniel responds. When he knew that this law was in place, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees Three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Maybe King James rendering kind of got you stumped there. He just found out there's a new law. He cannot worship Jehovah God. So what does he do when he gets word that this law's been passed? He goes and worships Jehovah God. He's breaking the law. He goes into his own house. There's so much good preaching in this. I hope you're catching this this morning. He doesn't go out in public just to put on a public show. He goes into his private chamber because that's where he's built his faith up his whole life. It's not been a, it's not been a public display of faithfulness. It's been a private relationship with God all this time. All the a four time it says a four time. I'm from I'm from Louisiana. That means it's always been this way. Always been the fact that he's been praying at the house. Oh, what, what's that? Did I hear what? Did you hear about the new law? What law that you can't worship the Lord? No, I ain't heard about that. Y'all have a good day. I gotta go home and pray. And he goes home, lifts his windows, faces Jerusalem, prays, seeks God. With great sensitivity. Look at verse number 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. He wasn't even worried about being found again, being faithful to God. You talk about risky. This guy is taking a risk. His courage is off the charts. But just like Luther, just like Schindler, just like Parks, there was a price to be paid. There was a falling out for this risk being taken. The Bible says that he got something for this risk. 
In the short run, in the, in, the, in the real quick story, he got thrown into a lion's den. He got a first-class ticket into a den full of lions that were ready to take his life. His faithfulness to God got him put into a den of lions. Can you stretch your imagination with me this morning? Now does it make sense why you've been in certain tough spots in your life? I don't know about you, I'm thankful I've not been in a den of lions physically. But I think those would have been better off than being in some of the predicaments with people I've been in before. Take my chances with that animal versus some folks. Think about some of the positions that that your commitment to God puts you in. Think about the peer pressure. Think about the struggle at work. Think about the challenges in in your corporate position that your faithfulness of God puts you in a tough spot. You you took a risk to stand up for honesty, for character, for for ethics, for morality, for godliness and righteousness. And because you stood your ground, you got put into a real difficult position. But how many of you know that God is faithful to the faithful ones? Come on, somebody. When God entered the equation, he shut the mouths of those lions we find Darius the Mede. We find Darius himself saying, fooey on that law. We're going to have some fun. We're going to take the pen out. We're going to change history. We're going to change the course of the world. And we're going to start writing in new laws that we're going to worship Jehovah God. We're going to worship Daniel's God. All because of one man's courageous risk taken. He could have cowered down. He could have laid down. He could have thrown in the towel. He could have said, man, you know, I, I won't be praying anymore. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I just keep it in the privacy of my little mind. I'll compromise. I'll, 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 I'll kind of have the best of both worlds. I'll, I'll fit in with you guys, and I'll go to bed at night and lay my head on the pillow and kind of whisper to the Lord. Not Daniel. Daniel said, bring on some lions, bring on whatever you want because I know he's faithful and I know he's going to bring me through. He didn't see how it was coming. He didn't know when it was coming. He just knew that God was faithful. One old songwriter wrote it this way years ago. He said, on time, God, yes, he is. You may not know when he's coming, but he'll be there right on time. But your faithfulness cannot waver your faithfulness cannot be compromised because God is just wanting to receive the glory from someone taking a risk someone clap your hands to Jesus Christ the world was changed because Daniel took a risk ask your friend sitting next to you ask him how long has it been since you've taken a risk for the Lord Turn back to him now and say, mind your own business. (laughs) He's preaching to you, not me. Somebody say amen this morning. You know, Peter and John were some risk takers. 
Peter and John were just minding their own business, heading to prayer meeting. Three o'clock, time to go pray. They weren't looking for any trouble. They weren't looking to change the course of history. They weren't looking for the spotlight. They were just wanting to go pray. Isn't it interesting? You see the common thread with Daniel and even into your new covenant, Peter and John. It was all focused on prayer. Peter and John just wanted to go pray. Just want to go pray. We just want to get to the temple and pray. And on their way to the house of the Lord to pray, uh, up comes a lame, crippled beggar. And this crippled beggar begins to tug on them, tug on them physically and tug on them on the heartstrings. And these faithful men have in front of them an opportunity to take a risk. Check this out. Everywhere we go, 24-7, there are opportunities placed in front of us. Opportunities to run, opportunities to retreat, opportunities to quit, opportunities to give up, opportunities to whine, opportunities to complain, opportunities to give up and just, just throw in the towel. But there's also opportunities to go forward and to do something great for God. It's all about your perspective. It's all about how you're looking at things. If you look at one situation, it's a challenge that you just want to not deal with today. I don't have it in me today. I just want to walk away and quit. Or it's an opportunity to give God glory by taking a risk. These men are on their way to prayer and a crippled beggar. Stops them in their tracks. Now I'm fixing to get really down home real with Calvary Church too early in the morning to be doing this, I know. You're pulling up to the red light or you're walking through the shopping center's parking lot and you and I both know and before you act real godly and spiritual, I will flat call you out there's nothing more uncomfortable than being stopped from where you're wanting to go and somebody just begging something of you. Because we're so spoiled as Western, as Americans, we're, we're prosperous, our first instinct, our natural reaction, it's, it, it, it's, it's, we're still carnal by our nature. Our natural reaction is you need to fix this on your own. I'm in here, I'm, I'm heading shopping or I'm, I'm trying to go to work. or I'm, that, That's a lot of our responses. I'm trying to go to work. You're stopping me from going to work because you need to go to work. And we get this high, mighty, I'm gonna even go there, pharisaical, judgmental spirit that comes on us and we don't wanna be bothered by the less fortunate. You don't have to preach me down up in this house on Sunday morning. You don't have to say amen because I wish you would, though, in a little way. You know what I'm talking about. But every now and then, you'll catch us on our A game, right? Every now and then, you'll catch us when we're actually following God. Every now and then, you'll catch us in a good place. That's what I call it. We're in a good place. We're prayed up. 
We're thinking clearly. We're grateful. We're thankful unto God. We realize how good that God has been to us. And you'll catch us in that moment where we'll want to help somebody. I love being in those moments. I wish I could live in those moments. I won't talk about you. I'll talk about me. I love it when I'm in a good, sweet, giving spirit. I wish I could stay there. Unfortunately, it's kind of hit and miss for me sometimes. Just being real. These two men say, listen, we don't have any money. But you know what? I look at your ailment, and that's not the will of God for your life. And they take a risk greater than giving him money. They take a risk into the spiritual. Watch out, somebody. They take a risk in doing more than, here, man, I got an extra dollar. That's not risky because you got an extra dollar. That's not risky. They don't have any money. So now they got to tap into a source that's greater than them. And they start laying themselves on the altar. They lay themselves on the altar of criticism. They're putting themselves on the line to be mocked. They're putting themselves out there. Come on, somebody. And they say, we're going to pray for you, though. And you're going to be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And these men go into prayer. Boy, I don't know if they had an old-fashioned bottle of oil with them like we do. But they lathered that hand up and put it on that head. And they said, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And this crippled, broke beggar rises up, healed. You might say, how did that change the world? That just changed one person. Check this out. This crippled man is now made whole. He does what you and I would do. He goes crazy. He starts screaming and jumping and dancing, causing a scene, drawing a crowd. People are attracted to this pandemonium. Because now they see that cousin Billy that was crippled is actually jumping around healed. And they start looking for who did this. Who healed this guy. And here these guys just want to go to prayer meeting. They didn't want all this. They weren't looking for this. But they saw an opportunity to take a risk. And they took the risk. Now they've got a captive audience. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 4 that they start preaching the gospel. They start saying, don't you think, this is Acts chapter 3. They start saying, don't you think it was us that did this? The mighty power of Jesus Christ has healed this man. Matter of fact, the same Jesus that you crucified. The same Jesus that you washed your hands away from. They did not realize that praying the prayer of faith would turn into a revival. They had no idea. Just what if they would have just given him a dollar? They would have only done what so many others have done and would do. I think it was the plan of God that they had zero silver and gold that day. They were stripped down to nothing financially, but they had great faith. And Kim, they prayed for him. He was healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And he brings all this attention of the signs and wonders. And now they're sitting there saying, oh, we got another risk. We could either run for our lives or we could just keep preaching. And these men kept preaching in the eye and in the, in the face 
of, of, of question, in the face of, of stress. They just preached through and they took a risk and they put it on him. They didn't put it on them. They took a risk by putting it on him and they preached Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that over 5,000 people from that simple little sermon, because of that simple little act of risk, 5,000 people came to know the Lord. Somebody clap your hands this morning. It's easy to give a buck. It's a whole nother level when you step out there and say, be healed in Jesus' name. And I know what our flesh says. Our flesh says, we can't do that. What if they're not healed? You know what? It's not on us if they're healed or not healed. It's not on me. Friday morning, Denora and I were so uh, blessed. We were uh, invited to, to do a, uh, an online uh, video interview uh, for, for a little Christian magazine that's, that, that's out in the holiday season. It's, it's part of a, a Destiny organization. And we were doing this online little video interview. And, and they said, um, tell us about your ministry history. And I kind of had fun just kind of the way I do things. I always like to kind of bring a little humor to the table. And I was talking about the years as I tried to travel as a traveling evangelist. Well, in the culture I grew up in, a traveling evangelist was brought in for one reason, one reason only, and that was in those days, whether it was stated or not, your only job was to pray people through to the gift of the Holy Ghost. And where we really got off track was we thought that the evangelist was the key to praying people through the gift of the Holy Ghost. We just kind of missed it. So there was these certain figures that if that man put his hand on your head, you would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So then when people wouldn't get the gift of the Holy Ghost, you know, they were just devastated because of this man not performing well. Well, I fell into that trap. And I remember that every person I would pray for, I was about good for about 25%. And I struggled with the others. And I was thinking, I don't get it. All these guys, they, you know, I mean, they're just known that if they pray for them, they just, man, they fall out. They do all this cool stuff. They speak in tongues and signs and wonders. And, you know, I'm just, man, I'm just kind of missing it or something. And I was taking it so personal because I was in a culture that made it about a person and not about God. And I don't want to stroke Gordon, ego, uh, Gordon Patton's ego too much, okay? I don't want to make him out to be something real special, although Dorothy thinks he is. We'll let her keep thinking that for a while. <laughs> Brother Patton went, yeah, let her keep thinking that. But Brother Patton has helped me so much through the years because he has a true burden and desire for signs and wonders of healings. There's something about this man's heart that he truly prays for he wants to see miracles, signs, and wonders. And something he told me, I don't expect you to remember this, Brother Patton, but years ago, Brother Patton said, you got to remember it's about the Lord anyway. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it's not because you know, we just want to be found guilty of believing that it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, it's on God anyway. Is this making sense to anybody this morning? Hey, we could take this and even go to tithing. We could take this and go to, 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 the, to the prayer of faith. 
We can take it to tithing. We can take it to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When we get to a point of taking risk that's not on us, it's not risky. Daniel's like, of course I'm going to go pray, but you're going to die the death of a big cat. No, I'm not. And if I do, it must have been the perfect will of God. I'm going to pray. We don't have any money, but be healed in Jesus' name. Don't you know that little crippled Billy's cousin said, oh boy, y'all watch this. If this dude's not healed, we got some false prophets. They're not worried. It's not on them. Bobby, when it comes to taking risk, when you take risk out of the sensitivity of God and the promises of this word, when you put it on him, you're not being risky. All you're doing is taking steps of courage and of faith. There's a thin line between us being tricked into thinking, oh, this is dangerous, versus saying, this is faith in God. Are you tracking with me this morning? Let me speed up. Let me speed up. I don't want to, I cannot skip this, this portion of this sermon, although the time tells me I should. I've got to preach these next few minutes. But to help me know I'm out of time, if the lovely Denora and whomever else is assisting, the lovely Jeffrey Downs, the lovely Adam Shepherd. Boy, they just keep coming. The uh-oh Colts. The lovely Steph and the lovely Chanel. Check this out. Watch this now. The psychologist, Dr. Neil Reese, he wrote a book that's titled if only. If only. I'm going to say it again just for emphasis sake. If only. Let me explain what I'm saying. This book talks about regrets. If only. And Dr. Neil Reese has come to explain that there's really two forms of regrets. There's action regrets. And then there's inaction regrets. Action regrets is, boy, I shouldn't have done that. Inaction regrets are, boy, I should have done that. And his research has proven that action regrets, they bother us in the short time. In the now. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have done that. But inaction regrets bother us for a lifetime. 20 years down the road, I should have done that. On our deathbed, if I could have only done that. Should have, would have, could have. 
Action regrets, oh, they have a bad taste. Inaction regrets, it's bitter forever. I think Daniel, Martin Luther, Schindler, I think Rosa Parks, I think a lot of us have probably in our natural response to taking a risk, I bet at times we even said, I don't know if I should have done that. You know, Luther's life, I don't know if I should have nailed that. I bet he walked away thinking I had to do it, but oh, I hope I didn't mess up. But oh, the trade-off. If Luther would have come down to the end of his life, I should have done that. If Schindler would have come down to the end of his life, I should have went and gotten him. If Rosa Parks would have been on her deathbed, I had that unction in me to stand my ground and I haven't done that. If Daniel would have come down to the end of his life with great fame and authority, great ruling resume, and if he would have regretted not praying, Peter and John would have gone to that prayer meeting and knelt on their knees and said, I wish we would have prayed for him. Something told me he was going to be healed and I should have prayed for him. Where I'm going in the next few minutes is about you and your risk. What have you not trusted the Lord with how many more days are you going to go without asking that forgiveness from someone how many nights are you folks going to literally crawl into bed together without offering an apology to one another how many Sunday mornings are you going to come to church and not really get your heart completely satisfied with Jesus How many Monday mornings are you going to clock in to work without not going and asking just for a few minutes to talk about the five years it's been since you've been given a raise? The examples are countless. The examples are countless. How many days it's going to go without you talking to that kid about it? How many worship sets is it going to take before you open up and really worship? Don't go another day of having a regret of you not taking a step, taking a risk, acting in courage, (laughs) acting in faith. Be sensitive to God. Let God work it out for you. He'll shut the mouth of the lion. He'll heal the crippled man. He'll change the church. He'll rescue those in harm's way. He'll drive out the very evil of life. I want you to stand this morning. If we have prayer partners ready this morning, I want you to quickly come. Time is of the essence. If you're here as a prayer partner, I want you to quickly come and take a position. I want to give someone an opportunity to take a risk on Jesus. 
And in reality, you're not risking anything at all because he is sure and faithful to help you out today. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Do you need a healing in your body? Do you need things to change in the privacy of your home? Do you need the thing changed in your mind and in your heart? What do you need today? Do you need forgiveness of sin? Do you need to come to Jesus for the first time? Or do you need to come back to Jesus because it's been a long time? I just want you to know that Jesus is here. And he is able. He is willing to welcome you. To accept you. It's not a risk if you give it to Jesus. Every eye closed and every head bowed. At this time, if you want to spend a few minutes with a friend in an altar of prayer, let them pray for you this morning. Would you come this morning?